How many people do you know who struggle with their health? Chances are, whether they show it or not, most of the people in your life do. And chances are, you're one of them. Whether you're dealing with anxiety, depression, endometriosis, acne, eczema, autoimmune, thyroid, Lyme, brain fog, fatigue, or any other symptom or condition, you're far from alone. Living with symptoms has become the new normal. So no more guessing games. It's time to get answers. Welcome to the Medical Medium Podcast. I'm Anthony William. Throughout the centuries, all the way up till today, we think about when someone's had too much to drink and they slur their speech. They have an inability to walk in a straight line, an inability to think or speak clearly. We call it and always have being drunk. And then if it's really severe or someone's incapacitated, we call it alcohol poisoning. But do we really know what happens to our bloodstream inside our body when we're saturated with a high volume of alcohol? We don't, and we never did. Even up to now, we assumed, because medical research and science assumed, that the more alcohol in the bloodstream leads directly to these actions and symptoms. Slurred speech, inability to think clear or talk, and eventually you're incapacitated. That alcohol itself affects the brain to cause these experiences. Here's the truth. No one knows exactly what happens inside the brain with alcohol. Intoxication isn't fully understood. It's only one part, one aspect of what happens to the brain when someone drinks. As someone's starting to drink alcohol, first thing that occurs is they start getting tipsy. That's a term people use. I'm tipsy. I'm starting to get tipsy. Are you drunk? No, I'm just tipsy. Tipsy is the first thing people, most people say. If you ask somebody, like, why are you drinking? How are you feeling? They're saying, I need to loosen up. I need to loosen up and speak my mind. Alcohol tends to just loosen me up. I'm all tight. I'm all uptight. And I need to drink at the end of the day, get loosened up. So I can speak my mind. Say it like it is. Some people won't say they're loosening up. They'll just say it relaxes them. Why are you drinking? Well, relaxes me. I just need that. I had a hard day. I need to relax. It relaxes me, eases me into the rest of the night. And then there's those people that just want to check out. They just want to numb out. They won't say that. If you ask them, they're not going to be like, well, I just need to numb out. I need to check out, man. I need to forget. They don't say that, but that's what they're doing. They're drinking because they're just like, whoa, I'm done. I need to check out for now. I need to numb out from now. I need to just put things behind me. I need to forget the day. I need to forget what's going on. So how does alcohol do this? How is it possible that alcohol accomplishes this? How do we loosen up? How do we numb out? How do we check out? How do we get tipsy? How does any of it happen? We just assume it's blood toxicity, I guess. It's alcohol. It's toxic. It enters our bloodstream. And it's giving us these sensations. But what's really happening? How does it really work? Our brain survives on sugar. Without it? Our brain does not survive. 
a lack of glucose, sugar to your brain can slowly starve it over time to the point where it ends your life if it can't get the sugar it needs. People think the lack of oxygen to the brain causes brain failure. Correct, it does, but it's not the only thing. The lack of glucose to the brain can cause brain failure as well. Alcohol is the all-time trick on your brain. It's the ultimate trick on the brain. Why is it the all-time trick on the brain? Because your brain believes alcohol is sugar. Sugar it can use. Sugar that can feed it. Our brain believes that alcohol is glucose, but it's not glucose. It's not sugar. Alcohol is methyl sugar. It's a hybrid of what was sugar. More of a vaporized sugar versus a usable sugar. Alcohol's essence is sugar, yet it's not. It's not sugar. This becomes a charade that's played on your brain because your brain believes it's sugar when it's not sugar. Your brain critically needs glucose for survival. But what happens is it identifies alcohol as critically needed glucose. But several things go wrong when this happens. The more alcohol you dump into your bloodstream, the harder it is for your brain to use any real glucose that's in your bloodstream for your brain. Your brain quickly starts switching over. It starts grabbing onto the alcohol. It starts to absorb the alcohol inside the brain tissue instead of absorbing glucose, real glucose that's in your bloodstream from something you ate a while back. At any given point, all of us have a certain storage amount of glucose inside our brain. But as the alcohol is getting into the bloodstream, our brain isn't utilizing the old storage bin of glucose that we have inside our brain anymore. It's starting to instead just use the alcohol. So now there's an override going on. And then there's the liver. Yeah, you heard it, the liver. When we drink, we think liver. That's a connection we make, right? If you're a drinker for like years and years throughout your whole life, it's like liver. Well, got to look out for cirrhosis. Got to look out for liver damage. One of your liver's major jobs is to contain glucose, keep a storage of it. And then its job is to release glucose congruently into your bloodstream for when your brain really needs it. There are moments in our life when we don't have sugar at our fingertips or glucose at our fingertips. We may not be eating for a while. Our bodies are created in the sense that if we don't get food at some given time, it's going to be okay. We're going to survive. And a part of this is the liver. It's a built-in system. It's geared to release glucose when we're in a deficit. We run dry. We don't have enough glucose. We're not eating what we need. Maybe we're without food for some reason, and then the liver kicks in, starts to release glucose reserves, it enters the bloodstream and gets to the brain. This is how somebody can survive water fasting, especially if they're water fasting past a day or two days or three days. As they're water fasting, they're out of glucose. They're not eating. There's no glucose in a bloodstream from food that they're actually eating. Then how are they still alive? Now, when somebody's water fasting, they may not be in good shape. That all depends on how much is happening with their liver. How healthy is their liver? Does their liver have enough glucose storage bin? Because as you're water fasting, 
that glucose is being released from your liver and keeping you going, keeping you alive while you're just on water. The glucose that's leaving your liver as you're water fasting is entering your bloodstream and traveling to your brain so your brain doesn't completely starve to death. There are some people that start water fasting and they completely come unglued and fall apart by the second day because they have a weak liver or a sick liver and it doesn't have a big glucose reserve. And there's some people that can go seven days or 10 days or more and they can hang in there because their liver is releasing enough glucose just to keep their brain alive. You've heard of somebody say, I can't handle alcohol, one drink, and I'm feeling more than tipsy, and I feel sick the next morning, kind of a little bit of a hangover, and then you hear somebody else, they drink like a pint of whiskey and more, and they're doing like double shots and everything else, and they're totally drunk, but they handle their alcohol. It took a while for them to get totally drunk. The next morning, yeah, they have a hangover, but they do it all over again. It's the state of their liver. It's the condition of their liver. It's the state of their liver. Now, what's important to know is if a person who had a difficult time water fasting and started to fall apart after one or two days or three days, if at one time when they weren't water fasting, they decided to drink, they would be one of those people that can't hold their liquor or they get affected by the liquor really fast One beer can not only make them feel sick, but they can get tipsy really quick. And then that other person that can water fast for a longer time, five days, seven days, 12 days, 14 days or more, and they can survive their water fast, not fall apart and get through it. If at some point when they weren't water fasting and they were drinking and they were consuming alcohol, they would be able to hang on. They would be able to get through it. They could drink more, not get tipsy that quick, not get drunk that quick. They can say, I can hold my liquor pretty good. Regardless of whatever somebody's alcohol tolerance is, no matter what, everybody gets drunk at a certain point. Whatever your tolerance is, the minute you get enough alcohol in you, it's in your bloodstream, things start to happen. As you're drinking alcohol, it starts to poison and numb the liver. And your liver is your defense mechanism to stop alcohol from getting to your brain. The minute you start getting tipsy, or whatever you call it, whatever you personally call the beginning stages of feeling alcohol's effects, no matter how mild, your liver is already at its saturation level. Your liver can't protect your brain anymore. When it comes down to using the term moderation, I'm drinking in moderation, that's how I do it. There is no moderation with alcohol. What this means is the minute you start getting tipsy or whatever you call it, your liver is already shutting down. It's reached its saturation point. So it's not about moderation anymore. It's just about I drank enough and then my liver is shutting off. Your liver's running on pilot light, just staying alive. And as the alcohol is entering into your bloodstream, your liver's job is to soak up every single drop of alcohol. So right now, as we're drinking in that moment, your liver is actually just focused on the alcohol poisoning. That's it. Meaning because it's a toxic substance. Now you may not be classified as somebody with alcohol poisoning in that moment because you're just starting to drink and you're tipsy, 
but your liver is actually becoming poisoned with the alcohol. And as it's becoming poisoned with alcohol, it's not releasing glucose anymore. Storage bins of glucose that it has all stored up for years is not being released. No more glucose is leaving the liver and getting to the brain. Eventually, the liver becomes paralyzed. That's it. Its only important function now is just to soak up alcohol. That's its main function at that point. So when you're out at a bar or restaurant or home or at a party or a gathering or just drinking alone, what becomes of your liver in that moment is just one thing and one thing practically only. And that's just the focus of alcohol and the alcohol only. Now, yes, blood is going through your liver. Blood is entering your liver. It's going up the paddock portal vein. It's going through your liver and out your liver. But your liver's not focused on nutrients. It's not focused on monitoring hormones. It's not focused on storing new glucose. It's not focused on all the nutrients that are going to be leaving, the enzymes, everything. It's just focused on one thing, alcohol consumption. It's trying to get all the alcohol it can possibly get and store it to protect you and stop the alcohol from getting to your brain. But our livers can't sponge up all the alcohol. It's impossible. That's why you start to feel the effects of the alcohol. The liver is fully saturated. It can't do its job anymore. So now the more alcohol you dump into your body, the more tipsy you get. Eventually, you get drunk, and your liver is at maximum capacity. Eventually, all the alcohol starts to push any glucose that's in the bloodstream away. It overrides it. It dominates. And then your brain believes the alcohol is sugar, but it isn't. It's a ghost of what sugar was. The brain becomes a victim to the ghost of sugar. As a person drinks more alcohol, they get more drunk, inebriated, and they exhibit a drunken behavior, slurred speech, inability to function normally. That means the brain is already starting to starve to death. Hey. Uh, Wait, the taxi's coming, man. Stop. We have to... Are we going to Mikey's tonight? I don't... Yeah, I, I told... Oh, my God, I hate when you get like this. I told you not to drink so much. I told you not to drink so much. Now, there's a key understanding, something that is so critical to know that symptoms we associate with drunkenness and alcohol poisoning aren't only from alcohol itself. So symptoms we are seeing when someone's drunk is not just from the alcohol itself. Most are symptoms instead of the brain starting to die. The more alcohol you consume in a day or an evening, the less glucose gets to the brain. Let's just say someone started out with 100% glucose getting to the brain cells, keeping it alive. And then drinking alcohol brings that glucose percentage down to 5 to 10% instead of 100%, depending on how inebriated someone is. It's like taking a fish out of water and watching it gasp for air on the beach or watching it gasp for air on the boat that you just got that fish onto. Then putting that fish back in the water and watching it come back to life again 
and then taking the fish back out of the water and putting it back on the boat or on the beach and watching it suffer and struggle and then repeating it, putting it back into the water again and reviving it. The fish stays alive, although it's in survival mode, but it stays alive. The fish becomes your brain. Your brain becomes the fish. It stays alive. It's in survival mode. It's running on 5%, 10% glucose just to keep it alive. And you're bringing alcohol back into the bloodstream and you're starving the brain. It's like the fish. Your brain is the fish fighting for its life. There's just enough glucose getting to your brain to keep the person alive, to keep you alive. Yet it's so little that the person loses the ability to function. You become a walking, talking example of a dying brain. As alcohol dominates over glucose getting to the brain because not only is the alcohol dominating by pushing sugar away from the brain, but the brain is thinking alcohol is the most viable source, the most accessible source of glucose. So the brain looks for the alcohol instead of other sugars. This doesn't mean that your brain wants alcohol. This doesn't mean that your brain needs alcohol. This means your brain thinks its only choice is alcohol. That's the difference. The brain is being tricked. The effect of alcohol isn't solely from just the sugar tricking the brain, the trick sugar effect where the brain becomes starved of valuable glucose. That's one part of it. Alcohol is indeed a poison. And as a poison, it does have an effect that can be intoxicating and debilitating. But yet, the slurred speech when someone is on their third or fourth drink is because the brain is starting to starve from glucose and therefore losing the ability to function. When someone becomes drastically drunk, they drink too much and they collapse. They conk out and fall asleep. That drunken sleep is a game of Russian roulette. Because if the brain doesn't get any more glucose due to the intensity of the intoxication, the brain can actually starve and that person can die in their sleep. When someone is so intoxicated by alcohol to the point where they need to vomit, where they have alcohol poisoning, their body wants to get it out. So the vomiting stage occurs. What could go wrong with this is that because the brain is lacking glucose, it's dying from the lack of glucose because of the alcohol. Then the vagus nerves can become partially paralyzed. And when that's occurring, it doesn't allow the vomiting process to work properly. This can make it so when someone's vomiting in their sleep, they end up choking to death because their vagus nerves are not functioning properly. The vomit's getting stuck. The natural process of vomiting and having it projectile doesn't occur. And the vomit stays in the stomach, stays in the esophagus, gets caught in the throat, ends up going into the lungs, and the person chokes to death and dies. This is where gambling happens, a type of gambling. This is when someone dies Someone doesn't, depending on how drunk they are, depending on the position they are when they're passed out. 
depending on their vagus nerves and the condition they're in, depending on how drunk somebody is. You'll see out there, and maybe you witnessed this, someone who didn't eat all day long. They have no food in their system, and they're all excited. They get to a bar, they get to a party, they start drinking, and they start buzzing faster. They start getting tipsy, they start getting drunk quicker. We normally think they're buzzing. We normally think they're actually getting drunk, they're slurring their speech, they're getting loaded really quick. We think it's because their brain's becoming intoxicated. We think it's because they're becoming drunk, but really it's the glucose deficiency. They didn't eat that day, or the last thing they ate was in the morning, or what they chose to eat wasn't providing enough glucose in their system all on its own. So here they are, they're ready to drink, they're ready to party, they're running low on glucose anyway. And because they didn't eat, they don't have any fresh available glucose and their liver is working overtime trying to mop up all that fresh alcohol. So they get drunk quicker. And then you have somebody who ate. They had a good lunch. They had a good breakfast, maybe some snacks, maybe a treat, anything. And then they start drinking and they're hanging in there. They're not getting as drunk as fast. They're not getting a buzz as quick. They have a lot of fresh glucose hanging around for their brain. If drunkenness was only about intoxication of alcohol, the symptoms would be limited. Someone would be just nauseous, vomiting, feel sick in the head, feel dizzy. Yet, while greatly sick, they still would be coherent. But the reason why they may not be coherent is because it's a combination of both the intoxication of the alcohol and the starvation of the brain happening at the very same time that leads to the loss of motor skill function. It's a combination. It can only happen with that. Slurred speech, other difficulties speaking, not understanding what someone is saying, and at the same time, saying things you don't know you're saying. As the brain is getting very little glucose on the edge of barely staying alive, certain parts of the brain start to shut down. And then it's hangover time. Anyone who's ever had a hangover knows what a hangover is. Anyone who's ever gotten drunk, consumed enough alcohol, knows what a hangover is. But do they really know what a hangover is? What's a hangover? A hangover is part starvation of glucose to the brain and part intoxication of alcohol. Have you ever heard the best cure for a hangover? Do you know what it is? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? I know what it is. It's drinking again. This is a myth. Drinking to cure a hangover the next day does not work. Even though it's advice given to a lot of people who get drunk and party, it's like, hey man, just drink again. Crack open another beer first thing in the morning. Make a Bloody Mary. That'll fix it. But it doesn't. Instead of recovering your brain, instead of recharging your brain, getting you back into action, you're starving your brain all over again. The reason people gorge the next day after they drink or gorge early in the morning after they do a night of drinking is because their brain is asking for glucose. It's desperate for real glucose, not the ghost of sugar, but real sugar. And when someone has a really bad hangover, 
they're still queasy, they're still sick, they don't feel good. That's from the toxic nature of the alcohol. That's not from the starvation aspect of no glucose to the brain. But either way, the brain overrides and says, I need fuel, I need food, I need sugar, I need glucose. So you're going to have to eat something soon. Many people don't drink to the point of nausea and vomiting, but they are still looking to scarf down food to sober up. The same night they drank, they're looking for a diner or a drive through at 2 or 5 o'clock in the morning, ordering a whole stack of pancakes, maple syrup, toast, eggs, bacon, waffles, hash browns, burgers, fries, tacos, or burritos. Or they're turning to ample food the next day if they don't do it early that morning. The common phrase is, I'm sopping up the alcohol. I need to sop it up. It even happens when someone is actively drinking out at a party or a bar when a companion says, you've got to eat something to sop up that alcohol. It's the brain coming out of that starvation state and starting to function again. Love this place, man. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Bring on the drinks now. Yeah. The adrenaline surge. The adrenaline surge that everyone gets, even if they don't act like that. Even if they're just calm, their adrenaline is starting to soar. It's starting to spill. It's starting to flood. There's an unexpected adrenaline high that comes with drinking that people don't even know about. It's there for a reason. We get an adrenaline surge. Adrenaline floods the bloodstream, epinephrine high when we start drinking, even when we just hold the drink and it hasn't entered the mouth yet, hasn't even entered the bloodstream yet, the adrenaline starts to soar. And this adrenaline can affect each person differently. It can determine if someone's going to be an angry drunk. I don't know if you've ever seen that out there or heard of that, but an angry drunk. Or if someone is going to be sitting down on the ground somewhere crying or outright bawling when they're drunk. When we say alcohol is talking for someone, the alcohol's talking, that's the drinks talking. What we're really witnessing is adrenaline being used by the brain that's starving. The brain is starving to death and it's needing adrenaline and it's using the adrenaline for survival, to keep it alive. And that's what's talking. Our adrenaline becomes a backup fuel for when the brain is starving of glucose. And adrenaline is addictive. And the more drunk you get, the more adrenaline is released. So it's even more addictive. It makes you want to drink each week, each day. It gets to a point for someone where they actually consume alcohol on a daily basis because it's so addictive. Because the adrenaline release is the addictive part. Remember, what goes up must come down. So at the end of a night when someone got drunk and then the next morning they start coming down, they're at a low. So many people experience depression after they drink. Part of that low is the adrenaline surge that they had. Their adrenaline is now leaving their system. It flooded all through their body. And as it's leaving their system, they feel a depression or a sadness come on. Adrenaline mixed with someone's experiences, their emotional struggles throughout their life, 
their emotional experiences that they've had throughout their life combined with the adrenaline released as they're drinking can determine what's going to happen, whether they're an angry drunk, a sad drunk, a happy drunk, a drunk that's just cheering on during a sports event or simply celebrating a happy hour moment, a drunk that has a lot of courage out of nowhere, a drunk that has more energy, less energy, more strength, less strength. All this determines upon the person's experiences through life along with how they're reacting to the adrenaline surges, the adrenaline highs and the adrenaline lows and the addiction part of the adrenaline along with their brain starving almost to death. They call it happy hour for a reason. The sensation that occurs when you're knocking back that first drink is the adrenaline surge of survival in the face of brain starvation. If we understood this, what we'd be shouting instead of cheers is my brain is about to start dying. It's about to starve to death. My adrenal glands are going into chaos and they're going to release a tremendous amount of epinephrine to keep my brain alive. That's what I should be shouting as I'm knocking back that first drink. At the same time, I'm going to feel the brain effects of intoxication from alcohol's poison. All in one, it's going to give me a great night. Original published medical medium information gets stolen and poached by podcast doctors, social media doctors, influencers, and medical clinics. Medical medium information has never yet been proven wrong by medical science and research. Instead, the opposite, only proven right and then taken from medical medium published material and used in the conventional and alternative health communities. Medical medium information continually sets the stage for medical science to understand chronic illness better. If you choose to share or use the original, unique content from the Medical Medium podcast, books, or Medical Medium social media, please cite where this information comes from so others who see and learn of this information have a chance to know where it all originates, to give them an opportunity to heal so they don't end up losing years of their life searching for answers like so many have before them. The Medical Medium information here on this podcast doesn't come from broken science, interest groups, medical funding with strings attached, botched research, lobbyists, internal kickbacks, persuaded belief systems, private panels of influencers, health field payoffs, trendy traps, or gathered bits and pieces of gimmicky confusion. Because chronic illness is exploding like never before in our modern day history, it takes a greater force than us down here. It takes a helping hand from above. Medical medium information has street cred. It's an organic movement of countless people around the world healing. More healing stories of real people not being paid to tell their life-changing experiences of rising out of the ashes of sickness and entering into the light of full recovery, getting their lives back and finally healing when nothing else in the world of health could move the needle and get them better. The information on this podcast is not man-made. It comes from above, from a higher source. Whatever you believe in, whether God, the universe, the light, or the creator, or if you believe in nothing at all, that we're just floating through space together on this rock. Know that the information you hear on this podcast is separate from all the other noise out there. It comes from a different place, a pure, untampered with, advanced, clean, uncorrupted, original, primary source, a higher source, spirit of compassion.